welcome to the Office 365 Developer Podcast, the only show focused on Office 365 development where Rich and I talk to the experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 Developer Platform. For more information on Office 365 Development, please visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. So, this is a very special group here. They volunteer. But seriously, every one, every one of our panelists is a speaker here at the conference on heavy rotation. And so really had no allegation uh, outside of their heart strength being tugged by being part of our squad. So we really want to thank you for being here, and we really appreciate it. for some self-introductions, and the one thing I will note to the panelists is we have a pretty diverse group in our SPUG, end users, power users, uh, site collection admins, IT pros, devs, and so not everyone here in the house knows what you do, who you are, and more importantly, I think, why you do what you do. I think the why is probably a pretty important thing. Okay, so, you all are humble. <laughs> We're here in Texas. We're here in Texas, and as we say in Texas, it ain't bragging if it's true. <laughs> so, Ben, you say you're just a geek. Just a real quick rundown. Sue, you bring uh, order to chaos. Jeremy, you are single handedly trying to move the entire development community to the new model. <laughs> Todd, you hardly mock SharePoint developers. <laughs> and Dave, you never met a data warehouse, data lake that you didn't want to dive into. Right? <laughs> okay, so Ben, we'll start with you for a quick self introductions. But again, you all are leaders in the, in the industry, so why focus on why it's important that you do what you do and, of course, uh, share data, what you do with share data. Okay. Yeah, and using the mics will be helpful because Jeremy has kindly offered to uh, tape our session, and I don't know if anyone's aware of the following that Jeremy has, but uh, podcast has thousands of thousands. followers. <laughs> well, at least thousands. <laughs> Ten thousand. Wow. Uh, welcome again. My name is Benjamin Nylon. I'm not really sure why I'm doing this. <laughs> um, I'm just kind of doing it. No, um, I guess I'm definitely not a developer. I don't know how to code at all. Um, not really an IT pro either. Used to be back in the day, but let's just say no. So I'm just SharePoint guy. <laughs> and I work at Cherokee. And he's on YouTube. <laughs> and I'm on YouTube. Yeah, it's famous on YouTube. <laughs> uh, I'm Sue Hanley, and, and one of these things is not like the other. So I don't write code. I'm not an IT pro. He says he can't write code. Believe me, he's way more technical than me. I'm a business analyst and information architect, and I do the people side of SharePoint. She's the mother of SharePoint. <laughs> Old enough to be his. <laughs> Not mine. Uh, Jeremy Thaker, I work for Microsoft. I've been there for two years now. Uh, I'm in marketing, but I do code as much as people on Facebook say I can't. <laughs> people in the audience will laugh at that one. Um, I've prior to uh, Microsoft, I worked at a vendor that's down in the Expo Hall for three years, and then prior to that, and probably like a lot of you in the room, I was a consultant. Uh, working on SharePoint, a lot of time fixing other people's crap, 
So the reason I joined Microsoft was to try and make sure that our messaging was clear enough so that people didn't do the wrong things in the development world. And I think we're getting there slowly. So that's my story. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Awesome. My name's Dave. I fix people's crap. Um, <laughs> basically, I, uh, I focus on a couple different practices. I uh, work for a company called Atrion, and I lead uh, our SharePoint Office 365 as well as uh, Power BI and uh, a little bit of custom dev inside there as well. So I get to play across the dev space, the BI space, a uh, little bit of IT Pro as well, and uh, basically everything other than sleep, but uh, I love it because of the frequency of change. It's non-stop. I'm Todd Clint. Uh, I also work at Rackspace. This feels like it's been a Rackspace commercial here. Um, I work at Rackspace. I'm an IT pro. I'm, before Rackspace uh, acquired us, I worked for SharePoint 911. I was a consultant there. I do IT pro admin kind of things. I don't code. I probably still make crap though. Uh, once I get to code, PowerShell. Yeah. Uh, also, been getting into the Office 365, Azure, you know, things that's been some stuff that's got me excited. And he has a fun show that he does. And I also do a podcast. Yes, I have dozens of random listeners. <laughs> <laughs> dozens of hardcore. I used to get up at ridiculous times in the morning just to see Todd first thing at work in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. Um, so I hope everyone can appreciate the star panel that we have here and all the expertise. We are going to have open floor for questions, but a number of you did submit questions in advance, so we're going to focus on that. And then, of course, we have the obligatory softballs that we're going to start off with. So, Todd. <laughs> One drive for business next gen. Yes. Is it all fixed now? Is everything ironed out? We don't have to worry about it. Just install the, the new sync client. Well, I was surprised that people had problems with OneDrive. It was new news. So, yeah, there's the OneDrive uh, next-gen sync client. Fixes a bunch of these things, and I've had better luck with it than I've had with the previous generation. The original one, I guess, if we're going next generation, should be the original series client. Uh, and, but it doesn't fix any of the on-prem. It doesn't connect on-prem SharePoint. It's on. It's online and all that. So there's still some some holes to fill. Um, talking to the OneDrive team over the last couple of years, we have the MVP summit, things like that. They're trying to do the right thing. When you go up there and you're like, OneDrive sucks, and here's the top 15 things about it I don't like. They know, and they're trying to fix it. They're, uh, you know, these are whole people with mothers that love them and all that. So I try to go easy on them when I'm complaining about OneDrive. But it's gotten a lot better. And just within the last week, uh, Mark Cashman posted on the Office blog that OneDrive now has a 10 gig file upload limits, things like that. So a bunch of these things we've been crying about for years, they're out there now. Uh, the sync client's gotten better. So I'm not quite ready to give up my uh, subscription to Dropbox yet, but I'm getting closer. It's, it's getting there. Uh, so yeah, give, give them the chance if you have not already. And there are some particulars about uh, migrating over from the old client to the new, and there's a, there's a, there's yeah. a great TechNet article that yep. really runs through the paces from us. Yeah, and that brings me yeah, a couple things. So you, since the, the next-gen sync client doesn't work with on-prem SharePoint, you can run those side-to-side. And one of the things that the next-gen sync client does is lets you connect to multiple tenants, and I think you still have to tweak a registry key for that to show up in the UI. But that way, if you've got multiple tenants, they'll all show up in sync. Uh, but it's, okay. it's good time. The technology is good for you. Okay, great. Thank you very much. So, Sue, I need some therapy here. I need your help. Because... <laughs> okay. 
Because um, when I hear that every user is going to now be empowered with, what, a terabyte, OneDrive, um, that kind of gives me the willies from an information <laughs> architecture standpoint. So it's, it's five now. Is it five? Yeah. yeah. Not five terabytes? Last week, yeah. Five terabytes. Okay. So just your thoughts from a perspective of information architecture and these big pools of user data, how would you be recommending clients architect that? So on OneDrive, you don't get much help from an information architecture perspective. You have the F word, folders, and that's about it. So the most important thing to communicate about OneDrive is really less from an IA perspective, but more from a governance perspective. What kind of content should be there? What's kosher to be on OneDrive and what really belongs in a team site? And I think it's really important to provide some guidance to your users about, you know, OneDrive content is really temporary, share it with just me, or share it with one or two other people. But if it really belongs to a team, and it really is part of the organizational assets, and it really belongs in a team site. So the way that you can basically encourage people to manage that content and not let it go out of control is to ensure that people understand what belongs there and what belongs to the team. Okay, governance, great. Do you, actually, question, you. do you find horror stories help? Horror stories about how bad it can Like, uh, I've heard, will not mention customers' salary reviews in the public folder of a OneDrive business. <laughs> <laughs> so here's what I hear most often is, oh my God, SharePoint is terrible because we, or Office 365 is terrible because we moved everything to Office 365 and someone's salary. I have, can't tell you, every organization, salaries are going to be exposed because they were previously hidden. Uh, the security model was security by obscurity or security because I don't know how to secure things. And all <laughs> Office 365 does is expose how hard permissions are and how screwed up all that security was. It'll just make all that content bubble right up to the surface. So, so governance, 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 and maybe a horror story or two to scare people into governance. Thank you. Uh, David, Microsoft is moving our cheese again for all the good and righteous reasons. All right. So we had SQL Server reporting services, and it was great to have it integrate with SharePoint, Performance Point, right? KPIs, dashboards, BI Center. Love them all. All right. So now 2016 Excel. It's a little hard to get to uh, Power Pivot, Power Query, or I'm reading some strange things. So what is this Power BI Suite thing? Yeah. Can you? There's a desktop thing. There's a service. What's happening there? Yeah. So there's a bunch of stuff going on, and I think it's really about having the right tool to be able to do the right job. Long, long term, you're really looking at a couple different types of interactions. One of them is going to be a formatted report, something like what you would have in reporting services. One of them is going to be a mobile report, something like you might have had in another another item that came in uh, about a year ago called DataZen. Uh, an on-prem mobile BI product. Uh, another one, specifically interactive reporting, and that's where you may have seen things like PowerView in the past, and a lot of the Power BI service really evolved some of those concepts. Um, and you're starting to have a good foundation where you've got a bunch of different technologies, and you can choose the right technology that actually fits the use case that you're, you're striving for. 
So Power BI itself, uh, there's really two components. There's the desktop client. You can think of that as being similar to uh, Tableau or any of those other products that you would use for an analyst to go through and be able to connect to data sources, quickly put together some pretty powerful visualizations, and then a back-end service called the Power BI service. Uh, no longer hosted inside SharePoint. It's now its own real kind of full, actual, working, baked, nice, good service. Um, and uh, you can publish it in one click, straight out of Power BI Desktop. Uh, used to be all of those tools were inside Excel. Excel doesn't update as often. You then had a reliance on every company that you walk into had to be on the latest version of Excel. People had to be able to add ins, all of that sort of fun stuff. Uh, with the desktop client, it's been great. There are updates that ship every single month, so every time I get in front of a user group, I've got to make sure I read all the blog articles for the 12 new features that shipped you know, the week before. Um, but it really has evolved at a stellar pace. Everything from custom data visualizations to the ability to anonymously be able to browse those reports via the web and integrate them into public websites. So um, really great platform that uh, complements a lot of those other offerings. So it sounds like you're excited about I'm the direction. I'm very excited about it, absolutely. Okay. All right, how many people here have uh, tried Power BI? Awesome, if you haven't, there's a free version. You sign up for free, it's actually not terribly hodled. The only, there's only a few things you can't do, like live uh, updates. Um, so I encourage you to go subscribe to it if you haven't tried. And it's only $10 a month for the subscription version, which is Microsoft saying, come on. <laughs> and if you work for large companies that care what Gartner says, they were very, very uh, excited. They took over uh, the innovator side of the uh, magic quadrant uh, just a couple weeks ago. So large companies that listen to Gartner will let you go try it now and you know, say, hey, that's good, go do that. One thing I will say, because I was just on a webinar about this, uh, Critical Path Learning, Matt's uh, outfit, his partner, uh, Ted Patson, uh, has really, I think, been pioneering some of the uh, education, really diving deep under, underneath the covers. Strongly encourage you uh, to sign on uh, if you want to get your hands dirty with uh, some of what Ted and Matt are doing with Critical Path. $10, man. Wow. <laughs> All right, Jeremy. So as you've heard, we have uh, some very large installations, big government, big defense in Austin. All right? Uh, huge farms, 2007 all the way up, test dev of 2016. Um, feature and WISP deploys have worked for a long time. Uh, saving sites as templates has worked for a long time. So can you tell us what this new remote site provisioning model is with patterns and practices and why, as a practitioner, we should care? Sure. Um, so SharePoint's been on a journey. Um, as Seth said this morning in the keynote, the journey kind of went quiet for a few years. Uh, I'm sure you got the hints and subtle hints that there is something extremely big coming. Uh, which there is, and I really can't wait till we can actually really divulge. There was a lot of um, subtle one-liners in that slide deck, which I helped build, that kind of alludes to where we're going. Part of our journey has been that, unlike other people in the, in the internet where they started off in the cloud, we started on-prem. And so the product started as a server product back in prior to 2001 that got the major upgrade in 2003 and then even bigger upgrade in 2007, 2020, 2013 and now we've got another one coming in 2016. This last major update 
um, that's coming very shortly um, is the first one where we've really take, took, taken our learnings from what we've done in, in online in the cloud. So we've learned from running SharePoint as a service and we're taking that back to SharePoint Server because we realize that there's a lot of customers that are still on SharePoint Server for a variety of different reasons. Part of that learning has been that there's things that we could do in all those major versions with farm solutions, with full trust solutions, that simply just wouldn't work in a multi-tenant, and I mean multiple users living in SharePoint running in the cloud, whether it's um, scalability problems, whether it's security problems, um, whether it's isolation problems of configuration. And so the add-in model, as, as we announced, was our go at making sure that you could do the majority of the things you could do in full trust solutions safely in the cloud, in SharePoint Online, but also in SharePoint Server. So that if you started to use the adding model now, whenever your company decides, whether it's now, in five years, in 10 years' time, that you wanted to move to SharePoint Online, you could. Um, what's happened as part of that process is where I said we try to make it as close to full trust solutions. There's a few things that um, internally we call gaps that the farm solutions could do that the adding model could not do natively in terms of ticking a box or not. And so uh, Vesa Yuvenen and Steve Walker and a bunch of guys like Irvin Mahuman and um, I'm, I'm going to get stuck now because I'm not going to mention everyone's name and everyone's going to be offended, uh, Paolo Carlsey, um, put together some best practices and patterns of how you could achieve the things that you could do in farm solutions with the adding model. And so things like um, JavaScript embedding JavaScript into the page via an app part, uh, which they used to call, and again, this is where marketing gets involved, they call it script injection, and people don't like injections, it's in hospitals, so like, no, 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 injection doesn't work. <laughs> we have to call this embedding JavaScript, not injecting JavaScript. Um, and so this was all about how we could achieve some of the things that you could do on farm solutions with the adding model via this embedding of JavaScript technique. The patterns and practices has many other techniques that kind of do and replicate a lot of things you could do with farm solutions via that adding model. What Seth alluded to this morning, though, which was uh, the first time we publicly said that um, at an event, is that we've realized that with this adding model, that in terms of like the isolation that you get with the adding model that you didn't have with farm solutions, um, this notion of being able to use any language, so you could, you, you could build SharePoint in PHP and Ruby and Java, which you can't do in farm solutions because you're tied to whatever SharePoint's running on, which is ASP.NET is that there's still another area that we can tackle. And so where PMP is going or where the product is going, you'll start to see a little bit more movement to kind of reduce the gaps that we had between farm solutions and what you can do in SharePoint Line even further in the next few months. Um, but patterns and practices is really us going out working with our largest customers that were on-premises using farm solutions and basically working out how we can do the same thing in SharePoint Online. So, all that stuff we're sharing, and Vessi uses the word sharing is caring as our way of working with these customers and making sure you guys have access to it, um, is our way of making sure that when you start off on these projects, because we know you're all on SharePoint Server still and you, a lot of you still use Farm Solutions, is you take that PMP work and you leverage it to do your work rather than you having to learn it yourselves. Um, and it's been great because it's an internal thing that we've started and now the community's really got involved and there's a lot of great content in there. Um, and they do monthly podcast, uh, monthly webcasts, weekly webcasts on new things that get put in by the community. 
So it's a great way of keeping up with how to learn about the Yaddy model, and so that's really what PMP is. So where should folks go if they want to learn more? So dev.office.com slash PNP um, is the place to start. That has all the videos, all the code samples, all the guidance papers we ship, and that's all based on the customer work that we do with people moving from SharePoint Server to SharePoint Online, or even staying on SharePoint Server but moving to the Addy model so they are cloud ready to go up to SharePoint. And fantastic GitHub too, just a wealth of code examples. It's, it's, I'll admit, it's hard to keep up. Um, often I'll have to just ping um, Vesa on Link, and he's over in Finland, so sometimes you can't get him. Well, it's my afternoon, and you're kind of like, I'm pretty sure this is here, but I can't find it. Can you come over and just point straight to it? Like, here's the Bible of everything that's going on with GitHub, but we've pretty much got every scenario covered now, and what we're doing is just maturing those scenarios as, as we learn based on the customers that are using it. Thanks, Jeremy. Sue? Um, who here, let me just start off with a quick poll, who has implemented term sets? Wow. Um, actively managing and governance over managed metadata? Or, okay. Good. Fantastic. Should make you feel better. So, Sue, if you can explain a little bit about why taxonomy and overall information infrastructure is good, and um, maybe we could talk a little bit about how folders might fit into that strategy. <laughs> Just to add a little flavor. Wow. To add a little flavor to the question. Okay, so five minute time limit. <laughs> <laughs> I just have to tell a story. So I um, had a project in Canada, and apparently uh, the, they didn't really want to let me in. Thank you. Um, they're a really, really mean customs person, and I didn't answer the questions right. So they pulled me aside, and now they're gonna they unpack all of my luggage and they pull out my notebook. And they find the date where I was meeting with my client in Canada. And I had written um, sort of something in my notes about information architecture. And the customs agent says to me, what is information architecture? <laughs> awesome. So I said, how long do you have? <laughs> I don't really know. <laughs> I don't even know where do you want me to get started. Um, well, kind of, the, yeah, just a kind of a broad brush. Maybe not so much the folders, but why, you know, maybe just why information architecture, especially at the get-go, some good planning, really makes a huge difference. And I know that it's very hard sometimes to drive user adoption, try to build the whiff them in for users. Oh my god, this is way too broad of a question. Let me just address the folder question. Let me go back to the Okay, so here's what I hear a lot from Kater users. We shouldn't be using folders. So I would tell you right now that folders are not bad. Right? There's there are absolutely times when you need folders. And look, it's a metaphor that we've been using for a really, really long time, and your users are used to folders. So people recognize that metaphor, they understand what it means. Does that mean that folders are always good? Not necessarily, but what the if you really want to organize your content in creative and interesting ways, the problem with folders is you get one and only one place to put things. And if I want to answer one and only one question, and I know all the questions about my information in advance, then folders are actually not a bad way of organizing content. Folders are needed if you're going to sync your content offline because you don't get all your lovely metadata when you take it um, when you sync it uh, into OneDrive, at least not right now. <laughs> um, 
but are folders really terrible? No, not since 2010. Since 2010, folders actually aren't as bad as they used to be because folders can do something for you. If you use location-based metadata, you can drop content into a folder, get the metadata automatically assigned, create a view that doesn't show the folders, and now you can start explaining to people about what's, you know, what, how can you um, organize your content in a way other than using the F word. So folders are not always bad, but they're not always good either. And so if you can avoid them, avoid them. But if it works for your users and you're not going to get adoption because you're going to have to pry those folders out of people's cold, dead hands, <laughs> give them the folders <laughs> and help them to see another way. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Benjamin. There's a lot of new services being rolled out in Office 365 that have to do with collaboration teamwork. Uh, Delve, Groups, Planner, which I'm really anxious to see come out. Uh, big announcements on Yammer integration, very getting very tightly integrated. Um, so I'm seeing all this stuff. Is SharePoint going away? What's happening? <laughs> it was a great session at four o'clock, which was future. But no, it's honestly it's something that I um, that we talked about for those that were in the session. Um, there's a couple of things in your question. Is SharePoint going away? Definitely not. There's lots of investment in SharePoint, and there was a lot of misunderstandings. I, I was the first one. I was at Ignite, and um, I had heard of Groups for the first time, and it was a session with Christoph, fellow Frenchman. And um, I went to see him right after the session. He's really French. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really French. I'm from France. You're from Canada. Yeah, now. <laughs> I'm born in France, yeah. Got out of there quick. Um, wait, are you recording that? No, it's great. No. Um, so now I forgot what I was. Oh yeah. So after the session, I went to see Gustav and I said, "Look, I just want to give you a heads up from what I took from your group session. I'm about to go and write a blog post about how you're killing team sites and we're going groups, all right?" And it's like, "Whoa, sit down. Let me explain what we're doing. You didn't actually understand anything I just said." <laughs> um, and today, with the, the vision, what happens? It makes a lot more sense. And also, what's coming, what they publicly announced. Um, so quickly, quickly, groups. First thing is not is not a product. It can, we cannot say uh, now that SharePoint, SharePoint, and Yammer and and groups is here. What about? It doesn't make sense. Groups is just a, a team. It's like a, you have Active Directory groups, you have SharePoint groups, and now you have this new groups thing. And I'm not sure whether it's Outlook groups or Office 5 groups or it's Active Directory. They're spawned out they're of Azure Active Directory. Right? They're not IAT groups. All right. So yeah. Office 365 groups, this new thing. Yes. And basically, the way I see it is it's almost like a sort of a provisioning tool. I'm, I'm going to confuse you there. But essentially, when you create a group, it goes into you know Exchange, and it creates a calendar for you. And then it goes into SharePoint, and it creates a team site for you. And then um, eventually, hopefully, what was announced, what's not here yet, is that it's going to go create a Yammer group for you. And it's essentially because in today's day, today, how people work today, is people don't just use one tool. IT can come up and say, here's SharePoint, everybody should use SharePoint, every business problem, everyone in engineering should use SharePoint, everyone in finance, it just doesn't... 
It just doesn't make sense. He's trying to give me tips. But... So, um, it just doesn't make sense, right? Because within the same department, certain teams might be needing you know, Trello for card-based management, task-based management, and, and somebody else will use project and so on. Just different people use different things based on their needs. And so group says, we're going for this team to create all these products. <laughs> we're going to create all these products, we're going to link it to that team, and whatever product they decide to use will still be in our ecosystem that we control, that we manage, and will at least be tied in. So once we get Delve to show the profile of what team A is doing and what team B is doing, whether they're using SharePoint for their documents, or whether they're using Yammer for conversation, or Skype for their conversation, or they're using anything else, it will always be tied in using the magical Office graph. Or is it Microsoft graph? Yeah, it's the graph. But it's all tied in together. So SharePoint's not going away. If anything, there's many more investment coming into it. The modernized team sites, which is my favorite part of the slides, that are in probably many keynotes of Microsoft. Uh, a lot of investment there. So. Okay. Great, thank you. If I'm, hearing you. if I'm hearing you correctly, actually all this stuff is being built on the platform of SharePoint. Yeah, so well, SharePoint a lot of it is. And lastly, also Planner. Um, Planner is already available in preview, um, so you can go check it out. Um, it's great. It looks great so far. I want to jump in on that is SharePoint. Yeah, yeah, please. So as an IT pro, uh, about four years ago, things were looking pretty bleak. Uh, that was kind of uh, at the height of Microsoft's, no really, everybody go to the cloud, go to the cloud now. And as a guy who spends a lot of time clicking next and finish and installing SharePoint, it seemed pretty dark days. And I remember at the last SharePoint conference, uh, whenever that was, we were there were a bunch of us who were concerned that there was going to be some big announcement, like SharePoint, as you know it, is gone. It's going to be called Office 365 Sites, and there's not going to be a new on-prem. But it really seemed scary. It seemed like that was the case. But Microsoft, the leadership changed a little bit, and, and customers spoke back, and now... I have no doubt that, that SharePoint on-prem has a great future. If you look at all the big changes that have come to SharePoint 2013 and Service Pack 1, we get integration with OneDrive and Office 365 and Yammer. Everybody's excited about integration with Yammer. Service application came out in the fall. I can see now that, that there, there's an investment in the cloud, obviously. There's also an investment in making stuff on-prem work with the cloud. So now as a guy that's an on-prem, IT pro kind of guy, I'm not worried about, you know, if I'll be able to make french fries and all that. I, I've got a job. I've got a future. It's changing a little bit, but that's that's not a bad thing. I heard an analogy uh, a while back about, for those of us who have been doing this nerd thing for a while, we all knew people back in the 90s who got huge salaries and didn't pay because they could install Linux. They could install Linux, they understood Linux, and that guy could do whatever. His job's changed. You can't, you can't do that anymore as a Linux guy. And as SharePoint guys, we got kind of comfortable. We got kind of used to SharePoint being a big deal and installing SharePoint, and that's changing, and it's not a bad thing. So I have no concerns about SharePoint on front of way. But we still shower. <laughs> Sometimes, sorry, just to add on the groups thing, because I know there has been a lot of confusion around it, and I've had the same conversations with Griffstock back in Redmond, where we sit there and I grill him about that this is just very confusing messaging out there at the moment. Uh, the blog post that came out last month really cleared up a lot of it. The big thing that came, that Seth mentioned in the keynote this morning, was that every group will get a team site, and every team site will get a group. 
So what that means is that now a SharePoint team site will be essentially the home page of a group. So all the feedback of, well, we, don't, we like team sites because we can customize them, we can put web parts on them, and we have that much control over the branding and so forth that you don't get with a group. Essentially now team sites will be that front page for the group. What it also means is, is where in the past SharePoint was kind of the, uh, did lots and lots of things, it will start to reduce and, and be a lot stronger in a smaller amount of areas. Um, you saw Power BI move off of SharePoint. You saw Search move into Delve. There's lots of things where SharePoint's just getting a lot sharper on exactly what it's going to be, its strengths are, rather than kind of being stretched across and never being strong at one particular thing. And I think with groups, with the fact that it can light up lots of different products across the service, it'll, it'll allow from a security perspective something that SharePoint never did if you run your projects around a SharePoint team site, which was a SharePoint team site was a SharePoint group security. You couldn't use that SharePoint group in any other product within Microsoft or anything that supported Active Directory. An Office 365 group is an Active Directory group. So once you create that, you can reuse that group not only across SharePoint and across Exchange and other areas of the service, but also any other application where you want to use that security group. And I think there's a lot of power in this notion of a self-service aspect that we do internally where we've got a build conference in a few weeks, we created an Office 365 group, we added a bunch of people to it, but then other people, because it's public, can join that group without me having to go and manage a SharePoint group or a site collection group or even an Active Directory group. So, Groups is really around this kind of like self-management within a community or a team within the organization. I think that's really the powerful part about groups. So, Thank you. If I understood that correctly, is we're going to be able to have a SharePoint team site with a page that we can customize for our project team, things like that as part of the, an Office 65 group, right? Correct. Yeah. So right now on a group, you see conversations, you see files, which is OneDrive. If you've got Planner lit up as first release, you see Planner, you see OneNote, because you get a OneNote notebook. Essentially, there'll be a, a, a SharePoint link that will go there. Okay. The question right now is whether we make that the default thing when you launch the group, rather than the conversations group that is right now. Um, but you can imagine something like, uh, it'll start with SharePoint, and there might be a conversations web part on that SharePoint page, for instance. Which would be Yammer and a And could be Yammer, or it could be... <laughs> <laughs> So yes, we're going to turn to uh, audience questions. Um, I've got a few the submissions, and Richard, uh, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, for those people that are using the uh, the, 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 the blogging and the, and, the, and, the, and the conversations within SharePoint, does it mean migration path to migrate that to Yammer? Uh, uh, so the question was, blogging in SharePoint uh, is, right now it's a, a, a site template for SharePoint called blogs. When we introduced the Delve technology stack with your profile page, there is the ability there to have blogging posts that you can create. This is in this new publishing model that is very similar to the video portal experience where it's extremely uh, user-friendly, dumbed down, feels a lot like a modern website in the way that you go and create that article and add images and paragraphs and lists and videos from the video portal and so forth. There is no migration path if you're on existing SharePoint blog site templates to that new blogging aspect. There's, there's been a lot of philosophy in engineering of, you know, do we focus on the migration path or do we draw a line in the sand and say, from now on, this is what we, we expect new users to start with and, and kind of retire those blogs and switch them off. I think in some cases that one isn't a one-to-one -one relationship because the content in a 
blog post in a SharePoint site template is very different to this notion of a, what we call the canvas with a bunch of content that can be created in, in that canvas. And so there was just a decision made not to have a migration path in that aspect. Okay. Yeah. Um, let me, if I can, because some of you did take the time to uh, do a pre-submission of your questions, we'll just hit on some of those. We've already touched on them, and then we will just, again, uh, completely open the floor. So, Sue, you mentioned uh, auto-filling metadata inside of folders. Um, so one of the questions was, how do you make that happen? Um, and then the other question, there may not, there really might not be time for this, uh, is how do you bolt on IA on top of an old non-IA infrastructure? So maybe that's the more interesting question. And there is a Laura Rogers video on how to do automatic population of metadata, or one of yours. Well, I have a video, but it's a setting in the document library called Column Value Default Settings, and you can assign it to the document library as a whole, or the folder. And if you drop an item into a container where there is a default, and the container does not already have values pre-populated for the metadata, it'll get it. If you drop a content, an item into a container that already has metadata filled in for the value for which there is a default, the column value will not override what is already there. So it's really cool. It is actually the users really love cool. it. They just upload the folder. I mean, upload the file. Well, the problem, of course, is if you move something from folder A to folder B, right. and the expectation is now that metadata value for project doesn't reset. When you move it from project A to project B, um, the new folder, it will not change what was already there. It's only going to assign it if it was blank to begin with. So where, uh, if you have some tips on that, uh, what's your website? So if tips on doing that, you have to yeah. pay attention when you move content around. No, as oh. far as... Uh, <laughs> no, going to your website. Oh, go to my website, yeah. com. Yeah, com. Okay, <laughs> wonderful. All right, so a few more questions oh, okay. that uh, came in. Um, to, to Todd, so you're kind of in the hot seat with uh, on-prem 2016 as well as your fellow IT pros. All right. Um, we have a number here who have large installs, but very resource constrained okay. internally. They have a hard time finding consultants and trainers. They have a hard time sometimes dealing with their IT shop. Yep. Uh, they're really not happy with uh, Matt McDermott. They I come to understand that. <laughs> 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 so any guidance, specifically guidance on how to evaluate outside help or how to work with the internal IT shop as, as uh, business units? That's, uh, so that's kind of tough. I'm not sure if I completely understand the question, so I'll take a stab at it. Is the person who asked that question in this room? Can they correct me if I don't hit it? Okay. Um, so for evaluating external people, SharePoint's got this great anomaly about it in technology. We've got a great community. So there's a good chance that anybody you're looking at, either a consultant like that guy or a company like this guy's company, there's a good chance that you know somebody who's dealt with them. And you can go out and see if they've got blogs, you can read their blog posts, LinkedIn, all those kind of things. So there's a great internet stalking aspect of, of SharePoint that you can, you can find out a lot about people on. I'm talking about user groups is another good one. If you're thinking about hiring somebody, dropping here and hey, has anybody used this group? That's a really good way. I get that uh, all the time. I get people email me, hey, I'm thinking about talking to this company. What do you think of them? I always say bad things. That's just how I am. <laughs> um, but, but talk about it. That's part of the, the community. And you look at other technologies, they don't have that like we have that. So take advantage of that. 
Um, and the second part is how to work with internal people. Yeah, why don't we just uh, move past that, because that's kind of a more political, uh, yeah. and yeah, there's a lot of variables to that. Um, so I'm going to just toss, yeah, yeah, I'm just going to toss a couple quick yeah, ones. Can, and then, can I add my two cents to that? Yes, of course. Of course. I have a client who was getting advice from a SharePoint consultant. <laughs> she thought, she's a business person, you know, a lot of times if you don't have any SharePoint staff, uh, uh, um, you're going to go out and hire someone, and if you don't have any experience of your own, you're listening to something, and you sort of have to trust the person you hired. Well, her comment was that what the information that the person was sharing didn't make a lot of sense to her, and I was giving her some advice. It was absolutely stupid stuff that this guy was telling her, and my best advice to people in that scenario is trust your instincts. If it doesn't smell right, it probably doesn't smell right, and just because the person says that they're a SharePoint expert, if that doesn't make any sense to you, that's the, ask questions. You're entitled to do that. It might not make sense to anybody. You're tough. I know. I'm not. <laughs> um, I have a question to the audience to be your because it's very topical right now, um, and it's IT Pro and Dev related. Uh, we work with Microsoft Learning that own the certification for both Office 365 and SharePoint. Can you put your hands up if you have a certification, an MSCD or MCTS or IT Pro? Okay, keep your hands up if you found that valuable either from a learning perspective or from a career perspective. Okay, so a fair few hands gone down. I'm opening it up as a question. How many people, how many people would want to see those certifications continue for both? Well, IT Pro first, let's try that. For development. Okay. I'm going to... Just to keep your gold status for your... Yeah, and <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good question. And not just to keep your partner status would be the next follow-up question on that. Because that is one of the main reasons people take certificates. So it was a personal development thing. I'm seeing nods in the audience yeah. from that aspect. Okay, cool. Thank I want to jump in and add something to what Sue said about getting bad advice. This is, uh, as a guy who, for a long time now, has been giving people technical advice. Bad technical advice. Probably the worst. I mean... It, it, when I was early doing this, it used to really make me mad when people wouldn't take my advice. They would say, should I do this? And I would say, no, you should never do that. And then they would do that. <laughs> but then it occurred to me, uh, I kind of changed how I looked at that whole process. That person wasn't asking me to make the decision for them. That person was asking me for information so they could make that decision for themselves. And for whatever reason, I wasn't compelling enough when I made my suggestion. And, and so that, that kept me from getting pissed off when people didn't do the thing that I told them to once I realized they're not asking me to make that decision. And I shouldn't expect my word to be gospel when they say it. They should uh, you know, give it the smell test, and if it doesn't smell, they should do something else. But that also helps me when I get advice. Because now when I think about it, you know, if I read a blog post, and outside of SharePoint, you know, like, like going to the doctor, what the doctor tells me is a gospel. I'm not having the doctor make the decision for me. I'm having him add more information to me making the decision for myself. And so if you're looking at people, don't take advice wholesale. Use that advice, use other advice, and make the decision for yourself. So has becoming a father made that uh, easier for you as well? <laughs> she doesn't listen to you either. Uh, no. Don't be uh, okay. <laughs> the other comment I would make is that if something really matters, if it's an important decision, get a few opinions. I, I was starting a huge project. I, Reached out to Matt, reached out to Scott Hillier, reached out to a couple of folks on my team, spent a day, had four or five opinions on it. And if you're going to work on a project for six months, make sure you have those opinions. If you don't happen to be, you know, 
on the Microsoft side or you know, friends with a bunch of people personally, there's a great thing called SharePoint where people, after user groups or SharePoint Saturdays, go out and stay out till midnight and have a drink and talk. And as many consultants as, as are there, you'll have that many opinions on the right way to go about it. But it's a great way to get kind of candid advice to uh, find a good way to approach a big problem. And if you can't manage a pine, there is the Office 365 technical network which is Yammer, and it's a great place for people globally to go and ask questions. There are other forums like Stack Overflow where you can ask technical questions, but a lot of that stuff gets shot down unless it is actually a technical problem that you're asking uh, a finite answer for. Whereas Yammer can become a discussion, and we see great conversations happening between the community where you're looking for you know, a little bit of feedback, a little bit of experience if people have done this before, and you'd be really surprised the amount of people that are willing to share across IT pro, developer, kind of citizen developer, information worker, and everything. Like, it's a really good network to join if you're not part of that. Yeah, it's a fantastic, the groups are a fantastic way to keep your, your yeah, finger you on the ask, pulse. You can ask the how should I's rather than the how do I's. Yeah. That's what I tell people. So let's open up the floor. Um, we've had questions, we had questions about InfoPath, uh, uh, access services, um, how secure is Office 365? How do you federate? Um, so we're just kind of priming the pump here. Take it away. I got here. Hey, hi everyone. Um, so I have two quick questions actually. So one would be for people who are still learning SharePoint 2010 and buzz around SharePoint 2016, should they wait or they should move to 2013? And what would be the path of migration from 2010 to 2016? Mm -hmm. And second is, um, I was part of SB TechCon last year as well. Um, there was a buzz about cloud, um, but uh, as far as customizations are concerned, we decided not to move to cloud. So when we talk about 2016, like how, how does it differ from 2013 cloud of the SharePoint Online? The two of them. Uh, who wants to feel that? I'll take the, the upgrade okay. question. Yeah, I'll take that. So that, that, the upgrade question comes up all the time, every time a version's coming out. And I always tell people almost exclusively not to wait. So let's look at the scenario. So we know that SharePoint 2016 is going to come out sometime this half. We don't know when. It could be tomorrow. could be midnight on June 30th. Um, I don't know how hard you're, heavy, you're hitting the testing now, but the day that it comes out, you're not going to upgrade to it. You're going to, you're going to test it for X amount of months, and then you're going to do a thing, and then maybe there's a bug or something that doesn't work or whatever. You're not going to actually start putting production stuff into SharePoint 2016 for many months after it comes out. So, and then it's going to take you many months to get everything in there. So in a year, you still want to be running SharePoint 2010? Because you're not, so look, these are the kind of things, think, think out, think the process out before making that decision. It absolutely is no fun to think we're gonna upgrade from 2010 to 2013, take a breath, and then go from 2013 to 2016. But what it gives you is time, because if you get into 2013 and 2016's already out, You've reset the clock on when you need to do that next upgrade. Now you can breathe a little bit, you can wait, you can let 2016 bake a little bit. You don't feel as much pressure because you're already two versions behind you got to rush for a version. So I almost always tell people. I think there's uh, someone up here at the table that has a little product that helps make those migrations a little faster and easier. Benjamin? Sure. Yeah. All right. Can, can, I, can I take the opposite side of what Todd said? No. No, Joel, you can't. <laughs> Sit down in the back. I've got a great session tomorrow, by the way, uh, 2016, so feel free to swing by. Uh, Jeremy, you want to jump um, in? But yeah, um, actually, no, seriously. Sorry. <laughs> um, the question of uh, should you wait or should you... 2016, and something I will talk about in my session, is that 
it's really not that much difference. And, and it already has been running in Office 365 for many years. So it's not a major upgrade. Uh, so I, I would actually encourage people that are thinking about going to 2016 to not think of it as a full upgrade, but think about it as an N plus a half and to sell it to the business that way. And from a, like a customization perspective, there's so many non-changes that uh, the stability and the reliability and all those things you might be worried about going to a brand new product, that's what's in the product. So I think you may be able to sell it that way, but it's, you can start your planning now and start working with the RC such that you're ready when it comes out. But again, it depends on what kind of business they are and if they're used to always doing N minus one, you probably shouldn't do it. But if they're used to, if they're an early adopter, then maybe maybe you are the right one to, to look at 2016. Well, thanks, Jeremy. You want to jump in? Yeah, the, the second part of the question, which was, uh, you didn't jump to SharePoint Online because the customization level. Um, essentially what's happened now with SharePoint Server and, and SharePoint Online is where the product is taken from online and being moved into SharePoint Server 2016, there's a lot of additional things that were in our service that are now appearing in that SharePoint Server RC. Um, Stephen Curran, who's a very well-known SharePoint MVP blogger, has actually been blogging this stuff. I mean, we've been doing this for years where we use ReSharper and um, pack DLLs and look at the comparisons between the different DLLs between major versions. I can see everyone nodding. We all do it. Uh, even I do it internally because sometimes I don't believe our own documentation. Um, and there are a ton of features that have been in the cloud because we've had pressure from customers in Office 365 to have those APIs available that now are going to be in SharePoint Server 2016. So from a development story on SharePoint Server 2016 compared to 2013 or even compared to 2010, there's a lot of things lit up that you're benefited from because it's been in service for so long. Um, additionally, because the adding model has matured since we shipped the adding model in 2013, there have been some things we've learned in terms of how to run those things that will come down into SharePoint Server 2016, um, RC and when, whenever we RTM. And so I think from the development perspective, along with the Office 365 patents and practices, there, you're certainly covered in terms of, I would, I, it's very close to being almost exactly what we can do with Farm Solutions, the majority of the scenarios you have. There are still some caveats where Farm Solutions will be the only way to do it. Um, where right now, from a SharePoint Online perspective, we say actually it's best to use Azure for things like SharePoint Timer jobs. We recommend to use Azure Web Jobs instead because they're more scalable and, and so forth. That maybe you won't be able to use in the on-premises environment. And really, is like a lot of the times when I was a consultant, I would use Windows Services rather than running SharePoint Timer jobs anyway because I have more control over those and them being part of the SharePoint stack. So there's always that kind of decision process of how much stuff you lump into SharePoint compared to kind of separations of concerns, and that's just where the patterns and practices really helps. Can I add to that maybe yeah, one last course. thing? All right. And just, I want to take, Joel's not going to like me, but um, I don't know about the um, don't wait for SharePoint 2016. I think it does depend, and you have to look at a lot of things, but they said that it was coming out um, Q1 this year. That finishes March 20th, 21st about, so it's Literally, with a couple of weeks out, you can start planning now. There's the RC, um, there's the, the beta. And in terms of it not being such a huge upgrade, um, it's hard. It's hard to. You get to phrase it. So, it, I think we don't have to look at it like that. First, 
Um, there are a lot of investment, especially infrastructure. We saw the zero downtime patching, and that's the IT Pro, but I find the zero downtime patching and the way they release the RC on top of beta 2, which is a patch, really, it, it kind of it kind of shows us where things could be going. And, you know, I look at other teams as well at Microsoft and how they're releasing some stuff, like uh, the Windows team and how they're de delivering their Windows 10. Things can get added on later on as well to, to make it grow. And for those of you that are looking into SharePoint Online, the SharePoint 2016, the UI changes on top of that, it, it's really important that sometimes we forget about the end users and how their experiences with um, SharePoint is. And if you have some stuff later on, like it, are you gonna deploy your own customized and, and built video portal or are you gonna just you know, use the Office 65 video portal? And are you just gonna use the planner instead of you building your own task management? So if eventually you think you might be getting Office 365, which do doesn't really incur additional cost because a license of Office 365 allows a user to use an on-premises SharePoint environment, so you don't necessarily pay another Cal or something. Um, it gives you an advantage because people can go seamlessly as an end user. The interface is the same. The, the document library is the same. Where SharePoint 2013 will have hybrid connections as well for the search, but people will still feel like they're going from one thing to a completely different thing, whereas we don't see that with SharePoint 2016. And at this point, with three weeks out, if you're in the planning phase, I would probably look at SharePoint 2016 because we're literally maximum three weeks, uh, or four, I can't count weeks, but by March 21st, is the end of quarter, the first quarter, I assume it will be out. Except for two. Dave, except for just, yes. Dave, let, uh, real quick. First half? first half. Oh, okay. And they don't end the middle of the month, they end at the end of the month. <laughs> Somewhere soon, very soon. Canada, 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 Canada's different. We want to get to another question, but Dave, you had a. So the only quick addition I wanted to throw in there is that in 2016, some things move around as well. So things like some of the Excel services capabilities that you're used to in 2013 are going to move into the Office Online, Office Web Apps kind of product. So um, as, as you're thinking about that back and forth, it's going to depend on the workflows that you're running and the level of. Um, maturity and how much time you want to put into testing those. I don't know if you're doing any uh, BI scenarios on top of it as well, but that, that kind of plays into it because those pieces um, also move and advance with SQL Server 2016. And uh, back to the question of how much you and how much risk you want uh, in your deployment where your timing is. Other questions? Yes, uh, I have two questions. Um, so we are primarily on um, SharePoint Online. And one of the things that we've been having issues with is reporting. So we don't have any usage reporting, and the only reporting we can do is basically if anyone edits a document. So when should we expect to have that capability? Second question is, uh, I'm on fast release uh, in our tenant, but I still don't see planner on my app launcher. So when can I see that? Okay, I could, well, I'll give you in two seconds. Um, the reporting auditing has been announced last week, so there's a lot coming on. Um, in terms of looking at it, I mean, there uh, ha I haven't seen it yet because they just announced it, so it's coming, just rolling out in the next couple of weeks. Um, Jeremy's going to give you uh, more information to it. The planner is uh, in preview, so it rolls out the way they, they roll out by by tenants and groups of tenants, so it will come very, very soon. There is, however, a way to force it to come to your tenant right away. There's some blog posts out there um, that show you how to do it. So if you look on, on Bing, how to look for, <laughs> how, 
you're previewing your tenant, you'll find you'll definitely find something. Yeah, go to Yammer, go to the planner group. No, I'm serious. Go to Yammer, go to the planner group. There is a community lead there. Yeah. Uh, they'll try to drive you look for the message center and you'll get that secret. Yeah. So um, my advice would be from um, the aspect of wanting to see things early, but maybe not in your production tenant from a change control perspective is to have a separate tenant where you mark first release on in the administration console so you get things early. So typically when we announce things on blogs.office.com, and I, you know, I'll, I'll put my hand up, it's hard to keep up with things and people expect because we're at Microsoft that we know everything that's coming through the service. And there was a few things today where I was like, wow, that's going to be cool. And I didn't know about them. Um, and that is because I have my developer blinkers on all the time. Um, but if you've got a, a separate tenant and you can just sign up for a trial and check it and mark first release, you're going to get those things a little bit earlier to experiment with them. But they will roll out into all of the tenants globally over a period of time. And it's just a series of states of how that gets done, depending on what products are pushing out those changes. So for Planner, they are still rolling that out. I do believe there are a few regions where not all tenants have one, including my personal demo tenant. Um, and so you just have to kind of wait for that to roll out. But they are, we are getting a lot quicker at how quickly it is to push across all of the tenants globally on those things. Um, in addition to that, with the analytics stuff, where we tend to announce those things on the blogs, you should start to see those things creep in with the next three months into a first release tenant. So typically, we don't announce things unless we know that within three month period, you'll actually be able to play with those things in a first release tenant. So that's a good indication of like the stages of, of how things go. And, and I want to chime in that, that that typically applies first to multi tenant commercial environments. Yeah, thank you. So for a lot of you guys, obviously, they work for state and local government. The community government cloud uh, and some other tenants that tend to lag behind with some of those features. So, just an FYI. Can I have a quick follow up question? As far as auditing, we use ShareGate. And uh, it has. That's the same. We started using it a couple months ago. And so, we have sections of our Share Online site that we designate as sensitive. So we can go in and every month run a report to make sure the permissions are consistent with the governance model, make sure everything is there and on the up and up. And I would, I would definitely recommend for auditing because we look at a lot of companies that were a lot more expensive. None were more user friendly. But um, we've really, really gotten our money. All right, beer's on me. <laughs> Does anybody have any idea of when Power BI might be available for government tenant? Because it's been like two years, and I see all these great blog posts. You can do this with Power BI. You can do this. And I'm thinking to myself, no, we can't. We don't even have it. Um, I really don't know the answer to that. I can try and find the answer. The reason I probably don't know the answers because there probably isn't one right now in all honesty, but let me dig and I'll take it offline. And we yeah, we, we just got access apps a few months ago for government time. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm hoping for Power BI, but we get access apps instead. Well, it isn't part of that answer. What you, go you subscribe separately. It's a separate subscription. It is a separate subscription, but the service actually wasn't available right now inside the government cloud. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I did ask that question. Um, like three or four weeks ago, and I think that I got the update that was coming, but let me double check and let's catch well, up. I was told eight months ago that it was coming also. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs>
So we're coming near the end of our time here. Okay. Really quick yes. So I'm kind of new to 365 SharePoint everything. I'm about a year in. We just finished a huge uh, migration from <coughs> Lotus Notes. Um, so everything is just kind of fire hose. And so in terms of SharePoint specifically, are there some top three to five resources that you guys would recommend for some really good starting points? That's become. Uh, user, power user, because you Google it. So I, I guess the question is, like, do you want power user, IT pro, or developer? Um, well, so we're admins and developers. So. Okay, so from a dev perspective, dev.office.com, and I may be a little bit biased because we own the site, but is the best place to go, including my weekly podcast. I <laughs> <laughs> where we basically do a weekly update on everything that's going on in the dev world. I get the microphone in front of all the engineers in Redmond. That's probably the best way to go from a development perspective. From an IT pro perspective, I'm not probably Todd's probably the best to answer that one. Channel nine. Yeah, there's channel nine. There's the virtual academy. So I feel your pain. There's there's. You know, the whole internet and, and the democratization of that is great because everybody can put stuff out there and everybody can have a voice, but then there's so many voices. How do you figure out which one to use? Uh, so it can be tough. And you, I don't know. Just talk to your other friend. You know, this is a good place to user groups. People, you know, I found great blog posts here and there. Um, but that, that's a real problem. I'm going to put a plug in for Rackspace. They have an excellent uh, series, a couple channels on YouTube, and terrific uh, series of uh, videos. They're not always the very most latest, but they're current from 2013 on. Good place to look. And uh, just to add to that, if, if, whether it's IT Pro or even Dev, I often recommend to start learning by as, the, as an end user to learn SharePoint because before you start playing as a dev in and then work with all of that or as an IT pro to manage all of that, you gotta understand this what users are gonna use, what are content types, what are site columns, and how that's gonna impact stuff. And I've got a series of no but I do <laughs> But, yeah. So this is the guy whenever you search on Google for SharePoint, his face comes up. <laughs> We can't thank our panelists enough. Thank you so much for joining us. SharePoint. So now you know who to look for for SharePoint and drinks. Thank you very much for coming and welcome to the relaunch of the Great Austin SharePoint User Group. Thanks for coming. Thanks for listening, guys and girls. Make sure you check out dev.office.com for all of our other podcasts and all of our amazing resources. You can also check here for more information on our developer program where you can get a one-year, three developer tenant to stop building against the Office 365 platform. We're always here to chat with you on the Office 365 technical network on aka.ms slash office365devpodcastyam. Or you can follow us on Office Dev on both Twitter and Facebook. So until next week, guys, get coding. <laughs>